Hi everyone and welcome to episode 40 of the FFS show, our podcast about misinformation and fact checking. I am your host as always, Ali Bryan, and with me for his second, third appearance on the podcast as co-host is Paul Dobson. How are you today, Paul? Very well, yeah, we were talking off the air about how it's started to get a bit colder now, so I was saying it feels a bit like Christmas with the heating on for the first time, um, but other than that, I'm well, happy to be here. Good, good. It's certainly getting a lot colder and a lot more depressing in Glasgow, um, that's on a personal basis, but um, nonetheless, we power through on the FS podcast, we have fact-checking to do no matter what the season, and this week... We are looking at a fact check about NHS waiting times. Um, this is something that I think a lot of people will have been experiencing. And uh, yeah, we're looking at a claim by uh, Anna Sauer, the Scottish Labour leader. He's made a number of times about the number of people on waiting lists in Scotland. But we also have a small announcement, don't we, Paul? We do, yeah. So um, you might have seen on our social channels over the last couple of days that we've announced um that we are in the process of acquiring or have acquired a new property uh, to essentially start a community journalism hub in Govan Hill. And that's alongside Govan Hill magazine, alongside the great people there. Uh, so that means that for the yeah. first time, the ferret will have a physical space. Um, yeah, and hopefully that will help us with our work. Yeah, I thought when you said the ferrets acquired a property, it's the new ferret property development portfolio. Yeah, that's, that's we're, true. We're moving into landlordism. Uh, as part of our new strategy to make the ferret sustainable. Not really. As Paul says, we are going to be in a community hub stroke office space shared with Greater Govan Hill magazine, which um, we would, I would urge you, if you haven't heard of them or seen their work, particularly if you're in the Glasgow area, uh, to check out their stuff. And part of the reason we're getting an office space with uh, the Greater Govan Hill magazine is uh, for a new project, which is starting um, details to follow. Um, but we will be collaborating with uh, Greater Govan Hill magazine in the coming year uh, in a very exciting project with a lot of different involvements. And once we've finished uh, with the fact check today, I'll be speaking to Greater Govan Hill founder and editor Rhiannon Davies about the collaboration and about why she started up the magazine in the first place. But first, shall we talk about waiting times? Let's do it. So, Ali, you've been looking at a claim made by Anna Sarwar about waiting times in NHS Scotland. So, first yeah. of all, tell us exactly what Sarwar said and where were the comments made? Anna Sarwar made the comments most recently uh, during his speech at the Labour Party conference. Um, and it's a claim that he's made a number of times in Parliament, before, in Scottish Parliament beforehand and in media appearances. And the claim is that there are more than 700,000 Scots on an NHS waiting list. That is one in seven in Scotland waiting for an appointment or treatment. Okay, so before we sort of get into the details of, of the claim and, and what Sarwar said and the yeah. sort of veracity of that, for the benefit of listeners, I wonder if you could just sort of give us a bit of information about how you would go about fact-checking a claim like that. Yeah, well, I mean, this one this one's quite straightforward and it's something that anybody can really do if they've got the inclination or the time. Waiting lists in Scotland are collated and published by Public Health Scotland. Uh, quarterly, uh, they are published and they're split into a number of different uh, areas. There's 
people when people think of waiting times, they sometimes think of um any waiting times. So that's like how long you're waiting uh, in any to get um treated or to get seen. Um, but there's also longer wait any waiting lists which people are on for various types of treatment or appointments um for uh, diagnosis. So the data is broadly split between diagnostics uh, and in or outpatient treatment. That's like a kind of continuing treatment or first time treatment. Diagnostics is things like key tests, like um, colonoscopies, CT scans, MRI scans, uh, ultrasounds, those sort of things. If you go to a uh, GP with some sort of ailment, can be the next stage for them to try and work out what, what is wrong with you. And then on the inpatient, outpatient side, that's usually people who are, they already know what, what's wrong with them and they're getting treatment in order to help remedy or help them in some way with that ailment. Broadly speaking, looking at those two uh, figures is your first port of call. Okay. And what what do waiting lists look like for both of those figures? Like, are they the same? Are they different? You know, for the diagnostic side, is it should it be shorter or... For the diagnostic side of things, the latest figures only go up to the end of June 2022. Um and they showed that there's a, there was 157,000, just over 157,000 people were waiting to be seen for one of the eight key tests, um, which are lower endoscopy, colonoscopy, cystoscopy, CT scan, MRI scan, barium studies, and non, non-obstetric ultrasound. That's ultrasounds which aren't to do with maternal uh, things. Um, that was an increase of 1.2% on the previous quarter and 77.9% higher than it was before the pandemic. Be seen as a new outpatient, there was 451,000 people uh, waiting. Um, this is 7.1% higher than the previous quarter, and it's uh, nearly 50% higher than it was before the COVID pandemic. And for inpatient or day cases, uh, that's they're part of a slightly different target. So they are counted separately, and there was 100, just under 140,000 people were waiting to be admitted for treatment as an inpatient or day case. Okay, so I'm just trying to do some quick maths in my head there. So does mm. that mean that Star Wars claim is accurate? So if you did that quick maths, which I also did, uh, with that combining those figures together comes to just under 750,000. So 747893 uh, to be specific. On the face of it, you would think, yeah, that's a straightforwardly accurate claim. However, one of the things that we uh, I've learned during the course of being a fact checker at the ferret is that quite often statistics that you look at on face value <laughs> the way that they're presented is uh, not quite as simple as the actual reality of the situation so what we did was speak to public health scotland um, and they said basically that my concern my sort of initial kind of um, warning sign that came into my brain was that the calculation that was being done by the scottish by scottish labor and anna star war to add these together wasn't something that was being done in any of the official statistics. So the official statistics weren't saying, oh, there's 750,000 people on a waiting list. There's, they were breaking these things down into the different categories and not adding them together. So you could say there's a number of different reasons for that. Uh, you could suggest perhaps that it's to do with making it not seem such a huge figure uh, there, or, or that there's uh, different ways in th which these things can be measured so they're not directly comparable. And the other suggestion which was in my head that was actually ended up being confirmed by Public Health Scotland was that it is possible for patients to appear on more than one list at the same time. So what we don't have figures for is how common this is, but Public Health Scotland said they advise not to add these, these numbers up. Anna Sauer said there are more than 700,000 Scots on an NHS waiting list. But what there actually is, is 
more than 700,000 appointments for Scots to get treatment, if you see what I mean. Okay, so there could be double counting going on there. That, As far as we know, there is at least some double counting going on. We're not sure how much. So it makes it difficult for us and um, it's slightly misleading for Anna Sarwar to say that there's more than 700,000 Scots on an NHS waiting list. And also the second part of the claim, which is that there's one in seven Scots on or on an NHS waiting list, that is also misleading because we don't know how many really, we don't really don't know how many Scots as in how many people in Scotland are on an NHS waiting list. We know many how many appointments are being waited for, essentially. Okay, so just coming back to the figures then, what does the Scottish government say about them and how do they compare to their own sort of targets on, on waiting lists? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting with... Uh, the figures in general because it, it, it's pretty clear that there's been an, a significant increase in waiting list uh, size since the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Public Health Scotland themselves say that it's still affecting provision and availability of services because obviously there was there's a lot of people were uh, when the COVID first happened waiting lists were shelved the NHS was on this on a kind of emergency footing so it was only dealing with um, COVID cases and real real like life-threatening cases immediately life-threatening cases and then after as the pandemic went on there was a huge backlog of people that were then put back into the, into the waiting list but then there was obviously there was other ailments and also a lot of the people who were on the waiting list were then further on in their illness if you see what I mean so that makes it worse and more difficult and more difficult for people to be treated there's also the wave after wave of staff shortages that is obviously has had an impact, but it's fair to say that the uh, um, currently the Scotland is not uh, achieving their targets for NHS waiting times. The sort of key waiting time standard for being seen for one of the diagnostic tests is six, no more than six weeks. Um, but according to the latest stats, more than fifty percent of people are waiting longer than six weeks for their uh, key diagnostic tests. More than fifty percent of people of outpatients been waiting more than twelve weeks for their treatment. And for inpatient figures, 68.5% have been waiting longer than a legal standard of 12 weeks. That sounds like a pretty dire scenario, whatever you sort of pin that on then. Yeah, I mean, the situation at, at present is obviously far under ideal for, for Scotland's NHS. Okay, so, you, so in the end, you came to the half-true verdict. So how did you how did you make that decision? If you initially look at the claim on face value, you would say that it sort of seems to be self-evidently true. The numbers on waiting lists did come up to over 700,000 as Sarwar claimed, but we can't be sure how many different people that includes. We know that Scots are waiting for more than 700,000 appointments, but we're not sure how, how many people that includes. And we can't tell for sure whether or not there are one in seven of the Scottish population are on waiting lists. However, he was using the statistics. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't just making them up. There was were, there were some uh, basis to what he was saying in terms of he got the number of people on waiting lists correct, he just his wording was a bit wrong, if you see what I mean. So if he'd have said Scots are waiting for more than seven hundred thousand appointments on the NHS, that would have been fully accurate. So half true uh, on our verdict scale is the claim is somewhat or partially accurate, but leaves out crucial information or is selectively taken out of context. My name is Rhiannon Davis, and I'm the founder and editor of Greater Govan Hill Community Magazine. So what was the idea behind starting Greater Govan Hill magazine? So I moved to Govan Hill in 2018 and was quite kind of immediately struck between by the way, the discrepancy between the way that 
Gibbon Hill is often described in a lot of the mainstream or legacy media yeah. and the reality of actually living in Gibbon Hill. And if you mm. just believed what you read in the newspapers, you know, you might think that it was this kind of living hellhole where it was unsafe to walk the streets, you know, and you should yeah. have an adventure. Um, in fact, even the estate agent, when I was looking around, told me that it was the murder capital of of, of Scotland and, you know, no one, no yeah. one should live here. Um but then I got to come in here and just found this really vibrant, thriving community full of people um, and projects and energy and loads of social enterprises and charities and community groups and grassroots initiatives and just loads of stuff going on um, combined with, you know, the, the kind of uniqueness of it, kind of multicultural makeup. And I just, uh, yeah, I just sort of saw this kind of gap between the reality and kind of the, the way it was described in the press and sort of saw a a niche, I guess, and a kind of possibility of, of starting something which challenged that, those kind of preconceptions that existed about it. Um, yeah. And I'd previously worked in, in digital journalism. I'd worked for a magazine. I'd also worked in community development and in um, journalism education as well. So I think all of those things kind of combined into this idea of a of Greater Given Hill Community Magazine. I think it's also important to say that I, I had... I've had quite an interest in constructive journalism and journalism that kind of makes a more positive impact on society, I suppose. Mm. So so I had this kind of thought. I thought it could be a good idea. I spent probably about a year going out and talking to people. I went to um, community groups. I went to cafes. I went to bus stops. Uh, I talked to kind of the housing association. Yeah. Um, just ran this idea past people to see what they thought um, and got an overwhelmingly positive response. Yeah. So for people who don't know um, maybe that much about Government Hill, obviously it's uh, an area in the south of Glasgow and it is one of the reasons there's so much misinformation and uh, so much focus on it is that it's uh, Nicola Sturgeon's constituency contains it. And so you will see, I mean, you might have seen uh, at the last election, like a number of far right people were uh, stood in in the area uh, with and a lot of a lot of times Govan Hill is used as a bit of a stick to beat the Scottish government with. There's a lot of talk about Govan Hill from outside Govan Hill, but there's not, as you say, a lot of stuff that's come from within Govan Hill. So I suppose that's where you're you came in. Yeah, and I guess the as the other facet of Govan Hill, you know, as well as it being Nicola Sturgeon's constituency, is of course that it is one of the most culturally diverse neighbourhoods in Scotland. So it has this yeah. really long history of of immigration into the area, um, of different people uh, arriving into Glasgow and settling there. So Irish people, Jewish people, Italian people, and later Pakistani and Bangladeshi people, mm-hmm. and more recently Eastern European and in particular Roma people. So I think it has this kind of, I guess, what has become, you know, in a way a toxic mix of, of both being um, Nicola Sturgeon's constituency and, and thus, thus being used as a stick to beat her with, but also... Um, I guess, an expression of some of the racism and xenophobia that exists yeah. within the media. What sort of misinformation have you felt has come from the media or from social media, et cetera, about Govan Hill that you felt that was worth sort of uh, responding to? There's been kind of crusaders, if you like, who yeah. have taken Govan Hill on. For example, a couple of years back, there was a guy who took, this was during the pandemic, in fact, took yeah. to walk around um, Govan Hill late at night, his camera on, um, live streaming himself, as he, I suspect, had some mental health issues, but you know, he he kind of was making it out to be so dangerous, and he he was doing this really brave thing to be walking around and, yeah, and talking about things which didn't exist. You know, seeing 
there's also like misunderstandings. I think there's a lot of cultural misunderstandings um, that come, yeah. for example, from people hanging out on street corners, which mm-hmm. is perfectly normal thing to do in other countries. And I think in other cultures where it's more normal to hang outside more. Um, but in Scotland or in Glasgow, that's perhaps less common. And people perceive that as being a front for selling drugs or prostitution, yeah. or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think these all these kind of ideas get mixed up with that kind of racism and, and politicization of the neighborhood uh, and become stories which aren't necessarily true. So do you have a sense of what the people who live within Govan Hill, how they feel about the way that the, the area is portrayed? How do you feel as a resident of Govan Hill about it? Yeah, there was an event a few years back organized, I think, by the Govan Hill Community Development Trust. They invited the community in. They got loads of they got loads of translators, in fact, so people. So it was very accessible to people who didn't speak English or didn't or couldn't read English necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and they've showed you know, lots of stories about Govan Hill that have been in the media uh, to people who who hadn't seen it before. And actually, um, it said lots of people were really kind of shocked and hurt, and they had no idea that these stories were being told about their neighbourhood. And actually, right. um, so there is an element of that. There's an element of that that not necessarily everyone is aware and this reads the mm. things that's written about Govan Hill. But I think as well, a lot of people, one of the reactions we've had to the magazine is people have told us that it's helped them to kind of, to see the good in the, in the area again. And I think when you live somewhere that right, people yeah. just talk down all the time, you know, you get a bus home yeah. or a taxi home and the taxi driver will be, set, will be telling you how dangerous Govan Hill is and telling you all yeah, the stories yeah. of things that are happening in the area. And, you know, and that's, and that's where you live. So I think that definitely has an impact on how people feel about their own neighborhood and how they relate to it. Govan Hill is not without its problems and uh, like 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 many areas of Scotland has deprivation issues and stuff and this is kind of what the collaboration between uh, Greater Govan Hill and the Ferret is all about. I wondered if you would like to explain a little bit about how the two things came together and what the plan is. I think it's really important to acknowledge that Govan Hill has its problems you know, and we don't at the magazine try and shy away from that but we do try yeah. and cover things from a solutions focused perspective and that's kind of been a uh again something that maybe sets us apart so that kind of solutions perspective is, is i guess what's driving this collaboration so uh greater Gibbon hill and the ferret got funding from um, the solutions journalism network and the european journalism center to do a year-long project which is going to be exploring the solutions to health inequalities um that exist in scotland and the way that we kind of see the collaboration working is you know by using Greater Govan Hills, you know, really strong links to the Govan Hill community and the the more collaborative way that we work with the community, I guess. And then partnering that with the ferret and obviously your kind of investigative, kind of rigorous data-based approach to things. So we, we, we're really excited about what can come out of that and how we can we can look at the health inequalities that affect people in Govan Hill and take that as a, you know, as a microcosm, as a as a kind of starting point, as a kind of in a layer, I guess, of the project, and then expand that out and, and see how that looks across Scotland, or even you know, taking a more global approach as well. We're then we're then going to be focusing. You know, the point of the project is to focus on solutions that can exist, um, that might exist already in Govan Hill, uh, that might or that might exist in Scotland, or that might exist somewhere else in the world. But you know, things that have relevance for communities right across Scotland. Okay, great. So to sashay this um seamlessly into a plug um i understand that uh 
there's one, one part of the project which you've not talked about, which there's also a crowdfunding element to. Yes, I will plug away. Um, so this is a really exciting part of the project, I think, for both the Ferret and for Greater Gibbon Hill. So part of the you know, the idea and the pitch for, for the funding that we got was mm. to open a a community independent media hub right in the middle of Govan Hill and for that to be used as a base um, for for community meetings, for trainings, yeah. for workshops, for collaboration as well, for you know for our teams to come together as well. So we've managed to secure a premises. So we've now got this space and it's just off Victoria Road, which is if you know Govan Hill, it's like basically the beating heart of Govan Hill. And we want it to be a a collaborative community media hub that Greater Govan Hill will use, that the Ferret will use, but also that'll be yeah. open for other community groups, organizations, other journalists, other media organizations to, to kind of come and share as well. Uh, so as part of that, we've taken on the space. It's a bit of an empty shell. It needs a bit of work. We haven't got any furniture. So we are just running a, a crowd from the, to help cover those setup costs. So you can find the crowdfunder by going to greatergivenhill.com and we'll also be sharing on our social media as as of the ferret as well that's all we've got time for for this week's episode thank you again paul for being my co-conspirator for this week i hope you've enjoyed it and i hope to see you back again yeah you're very welcome and hopefully be back soon um we have a crowdfunder uh, joint with um, Greater Government Hill, which is live at the moment. If you go to uh, crowdfunder.co.uk slash community dash media dash hub, you will be able to get the link. And if you feel like you were able to donate to help us get out our new office and uh, turn it into a sort of collaborative community news hub in the center of Govan Hill, then uh, we will be very grateful for any of uh, your hard-earned money. And remember, if you have any questions or anything you want us to look at on the podcast or in uh, written fact checks, you can email me factcheck at ferret.scot. And if you want to talk about anything at the Ferret, uh, give us any suggestions broadly or story ideas or anything, you can go to our new community forum, community.theferret.scot. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Ali. Bye for now. Bye.